episode 510. Oh, oh, I love that. <laughs> What's your favorite part about it? That five and five is ten. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> and the colors all are nice together. Yes, right. Like Which ones are green. they? Green and gray and white. So it's just kind of like muted. But like a muted green. So it's like a foresty green color when you mix them all together. Oh, lovely. All right. This is, that yeah. sends good vibes for us yeah, today. Like a lighter foresty green, but okay. still. I like it. Yeah. Because the zero is white, so it kind of like makes it a little lighter. But none of you guys need to know that. Or if you're like, what the hell is she talking about? It's because I have a color graph mace synesthesia and all colors and numbers. And I right. can talk about that in a minute. So, you know, I had to work it into the conference. You know how I did. <laughs> Okay, so we're episode 510. How are you today? I'm doing... Oh, I just hit my microphone, so I'm like clearly really excited. Hand gestures, waving all <laughs> Very in the animated. Air. I'm doing. I'm doing well, you know? Like, oh, except I have a little bit of anxiety about something. What? You so, never have anxiety. This is weird. Oh, I was... I was... Uh, scrolling through my Instagram and I saw a uh, preview for that somebody posted for a trailer for this documentary that's coming out. Oh no. Like down in the valley or something like this. Have you heard this? No, I thought you were going to talk about a different one. What, what's it about? Okay. So this is terrifying to me. Uh, there is, I'm trying to get the name of it because, like, I want, I like did not mean to, I was not going to talk about this. And then, like, now that you asked me, like, how I'm doing, I'm like, well, actually, now that you mention it, <laughs> oh, no. terrified. So it's about, uh, it's a, a documentary about a, kind of like Aaron Brockovich style, like a group of moms who got together because their children all ha- have cancer. And oh, no. they did research and on the area and what was going on. There was a nu- the largest nuclear disaster in the United States, about five miles from my house. No. Yep. What? Yes, this happened in, and it was the spill was in like 2010 too. Wow! Why and don't there's, d- I there's know this about cleanup this. job and like this is like new. It, it's not new information, but it's like a new. Oh my gosh! It's like the the darkness of the valley or, oh, what the fuck is it called now? It's killing me. I was looking at this. All, oh, you know what? I saved it on my Instagram. So now we're gonna see because I have to like it's now that you mentioned in it. the dark of the valley. Is that? Did you find it? Yeah, yeah, I did. Okay, Suze, this is where I live. What the fuck? I know. Is You're that not goner. terrifying? Oh, okay, and this is the real crazy part because my mom, for she said when she said the one thing about about where you live, Sarah, is I don't know what it is. Oh no, the the rates of cancer were so high. God damn there it! There must have been something going on, and she had been talking about that. Since we were little. Come on. Many of her friends. Sarah, this is is, terrible news. I know. So then you were, so, so, okay. And when I moved here, you know, I had, it's so, I, it's like, I don't know if this is, 
a thing, but I swear Bo refuses to drink her water. Oh, no. It is like Aaron Brockovich. I know. So I've been drinking only water that's bottled and only stuff that I get from the grocery store since I've lived here. My refrigerator doesn't have, like, a water thing, so that's good because it, like, makes it so. But WTF, right? Oh, I mean, that is the worst news. You are like a professor emeritus in um, choosing housing that's problematic. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> oh, like my God. I mean, listen to this. Led by Melissa Blumstead, the community demanded a full cleanup of the area, but received pushback from the site's corporate and government owners, Boeing and the Department of Toxic Substance Control. It was clear that the public was largely unaware of what happened at the SSFL, which is the the name of the oh, Santa Susana Field Lab, or the risk it posed to the community. And the mothers were determined to shed light on the ever-looming threat. Family after family shared their cancer stories with us, some of the children being treated at Children's Hospital Los Angeles, and some with the children we would never get a chance to meet. The resulting video petition sparked momentum for their cause, and it became clear that we had no choice but to tell their larger story. The trailer is the first look at their story, a feature-length documentary which will premiere April, this, I mean, frickin' this week. We got to talk to the director. We, uh, uh, Susie, this yeah. is where I live. Right. We got to get this. This is scoop. my this... mom was had been taught. So like, what? What yeah. do I even do about this? No. Oh my god. That gives me a little of a, a little. Th- my anxiety's founded. Yes. Yeah, that's not great. I wouldn't like that story. If not I ideal. You. No. I mean. I, what are you going to do? You can't panic. What or anything, are you going to but... do? I mean, and, and it's really like, don't drink the water and, and don't fucking go over near that area where don't it's radioactive. Oh my God. Oh Is my it five God. miles? You said, huh? It's in, I, I mean, let me, let me, I wonder if I had typed in Santa Susana, Santa. It's been nice knowing you. I mean, we had a good yeah, run. Right. Field. Field laboratory, 13 miles. Oh, my gosh. I wouldn't Santa like that. Susanna Field Laboratory is 13 miles away from me. I'm so sorry. Whew. That's crazy. Where did you see this uh, trailer on Instagram? Like it was this yeah, bo- like so a Yeah, so I followed somebody who, I, or I thought, fo- you know where it was? That 30 AF one, that, that, that yeah, yeah, account yeah. that I love? It was posted on there. It said, what do Kim Kardashian, my best friend, and something else, and, like, NASA have in common? They all appeared in this documentary together on, you know, and then, and then I looked at it, and I was like, that, like, topography that they're showing looks familiar. Oh, no. And I clicked on it and, like, swiped up and checked it out, and I was like, oh, my fucking God. It's weird that I, I didn't even know this, this last happened. Night. I didn't know there no, was. Neither did I because everybody's buried it. Like NASA's somehow involved. Like NASA is part of the re- – they're, like they're the ones doing the research there and they're the ones that caused this spill. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I'm sick right now. Yeah, that's bad news. Yeah, but besides that, uh, other than that, I'm fine. <laughs> Things are great. Life's good. No problem. Just don't drink the water. <laughs> right. All right. Golly. Well, we'll look into that. We'll have to find yeah. out more and interview the director for personal reasons. God, right? I mean, it's scary. You might, no. you know what? This is a, you might need to call the good people at BetterHelp to assist with your 
coping. Definitely. <laughs> I have acute anxiety. <laughs> Better health is great for anyone, whether you live near a nuclear power plant disaster or not, um, because they provide uh, licensed counselors, a professional therapist for you that you can access with your phone or your computer from your house. You don't have to go into any offices and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. This isn't self-help. This is professional counseling and they have um, people that specialize in depression and stress, anxiety, self-esteem, anger, all the stuff that we all struggle with. And you can find the right one for you. Services are available for clients worldwide. It's super convenient and affordable, and a lot of people have had great luck with it. It's a great thing, if, too, if you're a little intimidated by therapy, which I think a lot of people are, mm-hmm. so you can like test the waters. Uh, we want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash braincandy. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash braincandy. My therapist told me this week I'm doing a great job, Sarah. Oh, well, good. You are doing a great job, Suze. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like everyone could use a helping hand these days, so do what Definitely. you got to do. Okay. Definitely. Um, first up, oh, but right before we got on this call, I learned something interesting about bees, and I was like, I'm just oh. going to go ahead and share that. Well, so, uh, I love that. I love, I love bees and I, you know, I'm on this like save the bee thing. Everyone, even though I hate their stinging. Uh, right. 50% you know, but- of people agreed with you, which is crazy. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, do you think like, cause I always say bee stings really hurt and we thought maybe it was cause I'm allergic that I had that feeling. Do you think it's just a difference in pain experience or? Yes. Okay. I mean, that's what the very non-scientific Instagram study I did. I know that you have a high pain tolerance, but do you, I wonder if there's anything that like doesn't bother me, but that you would really be uncomfortable with, you know, like if each body's different in that way, <sighs> yeah, but we'll never we, know. That'll be fun to even think about. We still haven't even like, done our asparagus. Do you hate pee. this? Do you right. hate this? <laughs> right. What do you think about paper cuts? <laughs> oh my God. The worst. Stubbing your toes. Stepping on a Lego. Right on the tip of my finger. It's what? Oh. awful. <laughs> but this is not about bees. So okay, so let's get back to your bee story. My, uh, there's a guy I follow on Twitter, Phil Torres. He's like a, I guess he's a naturalist or whatever. And he was saying that it's sad when people write me saying they are doing their part to save the bees by getting a beehive. If that's your goal, this is a bad idea because A, it is like getting a chicken coop to save wild birds and B... Oh. Amateurs are more likely to spread disease to other bees. So the best thing you can do to save the birds and the bees in your backyard is to plant native flowering plants. Yes. Use fewer pesticides and leave some wild space that isn't mowed or raked. Um, So you'll have a badass garden, but the bees will thank you and I will too. That's information I did not know. Oh oh my goodness. Yeah. Like I thought getting the hive was good though. California, well, I did not know that, yeah, but I do know right. that the, the plants are the best. But I didn't know that about, about them get, poor little bees getting little bee colds. Yeah, because they're like, we, the honeybees aren't the, the <laughs> Can issue. Can you imagine a bee with a tissue? <laughs> it's <was> like, <laughs> I'm feeling a little. <laughs> and then every time he coughs, little like puffs of pollen come off of him. <laughs> oh, God. 
That's adorable. See? Right. We're killing these damn things and like all these efforts. Getting sick. They're getting sick, those little bubbas. Yeah, we shouldn't do that. I did, that is such a good analogy, though, like a chicken coop to save wild birds. Yes, but why? I would have never thought about that. I thought that when you had, like, you bought one of those hives and then they could make their home in there, I thought that was advantageous. But I feel like the struggle is not them finding homes, though. Okay. As we've learned, because they find them in cars and where else. <laughs> I, the struggle is the places to get pollen and the diverse um plants okay like uh uh what are they called mono crops mono okay there's a name for it uh it's when the they're basically like in top like huge areas of land acres and acres of just one crop and that kind of lack of biodiversity makes it so the bees suffer yeah. So they need to have multiple plate, like di- a variety of of plants. Of plants, right? I and then like I'm like, so glad you know. we know this now. Yeah, so, I did make a big stink about that in when I had a house in in Cota de Casa. I was like when I owned a home and you know we did the remodeling of the backyard. Yeah. I was like making a big old stink about it. it's got to be all California native and I want the ones that bring the bees. And I got into an argument with my ex because he's like, I don't want bees around. And I was like, I want bees, <laughs> want around. bees around. And I, I want, we got bees because the, uh, I was, uh, the uh, 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 landscape designers agreed with me. Yeah. I and mean, then they were that... all over our pool and I was like, yeah, what else? Yeah. You do kind of have to put up with the bad in order to do the right thing in that one yeah but we're we're saving the bees here yeah, people we're saving the bees so if you didn't know that you might have to welcome. get a sting a, a sting or two yes and just suck it up Suze. it's fine yeah suck it up getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking what's your secret begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. After my problem in the ER the other day, I have a whole new, like, I've recalibrated my understanding of what pain is <laughs> yes it well if that isn't the truth have you ever broken a bone never broken a bone okay Mm-mm. we're getting somewhere because it, with that in mind mm-hmm. you have a low tolerance of pain but have you experienced a lot of physical pain why well, I, I was in labor for 23 hours and that wasn't pleasant okay well that is and that then, will do it you know like i had a boob job it's surgery whatever yeah that's awful but in also, oh, and in labor, you well, and then I ended up with a C-section. Yeah, I was going to say you, you're, you're, they stopped all you from even getting all those good drugs that your brain naturally gives out. So you yeah. were feeling all that pain. But maybe because I, I was have thinking, just maybe I like broke life. everything. So like I was just exposed to a lot of pain. <laughs> yeah, early. Probably. And so I was like, yeah, okay, I, got, I know what that feels like. <laughs> yeah, my pain exposure has been mostly emotional. <laughs> <laughs> <Rather than> physical. <laughs> oh, God, it's so sad. Oh, God, 
that's okay. funny, sad and funny. Anyway, okay, next up, this was also something I read just before we got on the phone, which cracked me up. So there is this account, I guess, on Instagram of this Japanese biker girl, and she, like, rides around and has created this really popular Instagram account. And then it just came to light that it's not a girl at all, that it was some, like, 50-year-old man that was using the face app to, like, change oh my the God. way he looked. And he was, like, super nice about it. He was just like, well, nobody really cares what a middle-aged old <laughs> uncle thinks. So I wanted it to be more appealing. Like, he was just, like, rebranding. Yes. And, like, people started I mean... to feel like something was up because they noticed her arm was really hairy. <laughs> <laughs> Face I mean, app. Yeah, the problem is it only really works on the face. <laughs> right. There are limitations. Anyway, oh that cracked gosh. me up. So, Well, you know, that that's really funny because it implies that, like, it took a while for people to catch on, <laughs> yeah, which did. means he, they probably were looking at other things in the photo. So, like, did he give her boobs or something? How are they so distracted I think it that was they most, missed hairy limbs? Point. Right, because they said it was a How much do they arm. love motorcycles? I mean, how, geez. Yeah, they just loved that hog that she was riding. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. That cracked me up. Gosh. Okay. Those you know, were just the latest. I, I want to complain about something that is kind of related to the, like, the, uh, um, I want to get your take on this. Yes. I was watching, and now I have no, I have done zero research, and I have no idea if I should be mad or not. <laughs> So it's like perfect thing to be mad about. When in doubt, uh, I say just dive right into the anger. Yeah. yeah, it feels like I should be mad about this, especially because it's like I think uh, also like white supremacy and racist stuff too. Okay. So um, I'm watching uh, some television and like I ha- and Hulu with ads, and because I'm like never see commercials anywhere. And this ad came up for a car company. I want to say it was like Toyota or something, and. They featured, and I re- I noticed that they they featured an entire black cast. It's like all black women, and I was like, "Oh wow, look at that!" Usually, there's like one token white woman, not token, but like one white woman thrown in there because they're like, "Oh, we can't, God yeah. forbid, we make it all people of color." Mm-hmm. And so I was like, "Oh, this is nice. What a lovely change." Then I looked closer. It was fucking animated. Oh, here's why I have a problem with that. Okay. If you present diversity and the people that you paid to animate that are white Mm. or not black women who are you're showing on there as the actor, I have a problem with that. I feel like they're they're And it was so close to real life. Like you, you had to really look hard. Oh, really? To recognize what do we feel about this? How do we feel about this? Is it just me that that feels a little like what the fuck? Like... You're like, like performative right. inclusion and, and diversity. I wonder, but you're not, do you nobody, remember the name nobody, of it? No person of color is profiting off of this. How do you know that? Well, I don't. That's what I'm saying. I did zero research and I have no information that they actually <laughs> hired black animators or something like that. But I feel like they would make like, like uh, my, my instinct is that they didn't. Right, and they probably didn't. So I want to say I'm mad about this thing. I don't really know if I should be Well, mad I think that's it. fair because, I mean, you know, there's all these articles coming out about Hank Azaria and how he's having to reckon with having 
done the voice right. for Apu or whatever that guy's name is on The Simpsons. Yeah. And I think that it's a fair conversation to have about how we portray other cultures, other races um, in animation and who's doing it, like who are mm-hmm. calling the shots. Mm-hmm. I and think they it's didn't a fair have any question. speaking parts. It was just narrated. It was just like narrated over it. And it was like. Yeah, I mean, I think it's always safe to assume that that people aren't doing the right thing. Because <laughs> yeah. they rarely so that are. Made me like, feel like, because if at first glance you watch that, my first instinct was, wow, look at how right. nice that they have an all a cast of all black women. Now you're like, I and got bamboozled. Like, Did a single black woman make a dime off of this? But then they get me feeling all warm and fuzzy about Toyota because of this. Toyota. That I don't like that. Yeah, we're or, on I mean, to It you. might not have even been Toyota. So there you go. Yeah, I, I think that's your... fair. No, I okay. think it, it, it's definitely worth asking the question, yeah. like, who's behind this? I got to find that ad again. I'll tell you, there's a company that we're working with right now that is the opposite. It's called public.com, and it is a trading app that I love to use for investing, and I l- am really excited about it because... The public.com community is made up of 40% women and 45% people of color. There we go. And I'll tell you what, like in finance, that is very impressive. Oh, yes. You know what I mean? Oh my God, that gives me warm fuzzies. That yeah. is the opposite. I'm just excited about it. And I wanted our listeners to, if you're thinking about looking into investing or if you use another app, I would encourage you to try public because... Of that reason, but also like they don't promote risky or gambling like behavior. And then they offer mm. like trading tools for beginners so you don't have to be intimidated by it. And I'm just all for more of this in the finance world. Like after everything that's yes. happened in the last year and yes. all the headlines about craziness, I just yes. feel like this is such a refreshing change. So give them a try. If you go to public.com slash brain candy, you can follow me on public.com and see what I'm investing in. You can start investing today with as little as $1. You'll even get a free slice of stock when you join. Just go to public.com slash brain candy to download the public.com app today. And somebody in our Q&A said that they had joined and they were loving it. And that made me happy. Oh, great. So that's fun. Okay. Moving on. Um, Okay. I read a great article in the New York Times about um, the woman who sort of made Van Gogh Van Gogh. And mm. I'm always so excited when I hear, like, a, information that's been suppressed mm-hmm. by because of sexism and all that stuff. When you find out, oh, there was a great woman behind the man, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm sure you've heard about... Um, Vincent and his brother Theo and they famously yes. wrote all these letters back and forth and Theo Van Gogh was like the steadier mm-hmm. <laughs> of the two and he was always trying to rein Vincent in and Vincent could you know of course be his own worst enemy but like his brother Theo really believed in him all that jazz well Theo was married to a woman named Joe and she I already ma- love her love uh, yeah. her name she's so cool Joe Van Gogh oh and- <laughs> And she's so cool because she was madly in love with Theo, but they were only married for a year and a half before Theo died. 
And then after his death, and of course after Vincent's death, she was sort of the only person that could propel Vincent into the art world. And she made it her life's mission. Wow. And here's what's so cool. I never knew this about art, but back in the day, artists were... It wasn't like the starving artist thing. These people were esteemed and had all these very rich um, patrons and, you know, like apprentices. And it was very prestigious. Mm -hmm. And Joe flipped the whole script and started pitching his art as like you can see in the mind of this kind of like a madman and someone who's melancholy and frustrated and tortured and then that became part of the art which was like a new thing they didn't well, do that you know what then. she introduced the female perspective right a soul she introduced emotion you remember when i was talking about the skateboard film yeah and how it was the first time i heard skateboard skateboarding being discussed from a female who was passionate about it and how there were so mm-hmm. many more feeling words and it was like the emotions of it Right. That and reminds me of this. It's a whole new perspective when you change the way something is presented. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's so cool and how mm. it really did change the way we see artists now and we care about, like, what's the story behind the person. I mean, I think that's even why Banksy is such a interesting figure because of the mystery there, you know? Oh, now I'm fascinated by her. Isn't she cool? Because I want to know... Now, we also have to remember that Theo was the one who was really pushing Van Gogh to, like, stay medicated. Yes. And, like, go to doctor's appointments. Yeah. And, like, get Chill help the fuck psychiatrically. Out. Yeah. So we can imagine that there was a discussion between Theo and his wife about this, like, behind the scenes, yeah. you know. So mental health was clearly something that she cared about. And so I think about what person at that time and what family she must have grown up in. Mm-hmm. Somebody's like in the medical field or a psychiatrist or like, I wonder what her parents did. You know what? It did say in the article, but I didn't, I don't remember. I should re, I should re-examine that because it would be interesting to see how she yeah. got so astute and. It's cool. Yeah. Like, I just love it because. You know, nobody's talking about Joe Van Gogh. Right. The name alone. (laughs) Come on. And uh, I'm going with my aunt in a couple months to see that Van Gogh exhibit. Me too. They're doing it in Pittsburgh. Oh, they have it in Pittsburgh? Yeah. Like it's a, I guess there's a tour, you know, one. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, me too. So the immersive one, right? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And everybody it really says cool. it's amazing. Okay, good. Yeah. So when are you going? October is when I'm going. Uh, I think July. Okay. So you can yeah. tell me if it's awesome. That's exciting. Yes. Um, yeah. So that's super cool. And um, then it also said that her diaries are now available online from the uh, Van Gogh Museum. So you can check that out as well if you're interested in learning more. Um, yeah, one of the coolest things about art is, yes, the paintings are, are wonderful and the actual art itself is is interesting, but I feel like 
I'm almost more interested in the how art reflects like what was going on in society mm-hmm. at the time, and the, it's there's so much more, which is why it's so great to go to a museum and or even like those online tours and actually do the tour. Yeah, right. Because it feels kind of nerdy because it's always like you and then a bunch of like eighty year olds. Uh, look who li- li- our listeners, please. No, no, yeah, like we're there. They would love this. <laughs> Nobody here thinks that's absolutely nerdy. yes. But yes, I know what you mean. There's a certain time where you're like, nah, I don't want to do that. Well, that's and weird. I could do or without like, the headsets. I, I had this whole idea of like, ah, what are they going to teach me that I don't know? <laughs> Sarah, <laughs> pretty Louise. much everything, Sarah. That was like Dunning Kruger uh, 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 <laughs> in full effect <laughs> at the museum when yeah, I was I think, like 14, 15, 16. Yeah, I think they know it. Maybe twenty five. You might, you might be surprised. Um, okay, before I share my next thing, I want to remind everybody that Mother's Day is coming up mm-hmm. and you need to buy your mama something lovely, or maybe you could drop a hint that you would like something. And I would recommend the lovely jewels from Pandora. I think this is a great idea for a gift. I've been getting my mom these charms for, I mean, like 15 years. You should see her bracelet. It's like half I the weight of her I love something that is a ongoing collectible gift. Right? It, they're and, really cute. And they, I just love how you can buy all different like styles and themes and like things that she loves. You can pick out the perfect charm for, mm-hmm. you know, what she's into. But they have tons of stuff. They have rings, necklaces, earrings, bracelets, and you can add charms to that. You can customize it to fit your style and personality. I would get my mom one that was a, had all of the zodiac signs on it. That would be cool. Like a bunch of different ones. All the, like, a fun, oh, she would be easy to get one for. Yeah, they have all kinds of stuff like that, like symbols of love and gratitude or infinity symbols, angel wings, stuff like that. And then it's just a nice thing that they can have forever and keep in the family. I think it's really fun. Thank the mom in your life for always being there with a sparkling gift from Pandora Jewelry. Um, shop online or in-store between uh, the 20, April 22nd and April 26th and receive a bonus gift with your $150 Pandora Jewelry purchase, a limited edition sterling silver bangle. Go to us.pandora.net slash braincandy to start shopping or find a store near you. That's us.pandora.net slash braincandy. Okay, moving on. Do you think you are able to spot a liar? Oh, well, yeah, because freaking everybody's a liar. (laughs) Yeah, that guy. Yeah, that one. My favorite thing about this entire show (laughs) is never knowing what your answer is going to be. I was like, yeah, you know, I, I, I bet I could tell if somebody yeah, I has did. that, like, smirk and da-da-da. No, yeah. I'm thinking I just lying. Yeah, you're like, I'm going to make this real easy. Everyone's yeah. fucking lying. lying. I mean, Susie, mm-hmm. I lied to the U.S. Postal Service <gasps> the other day when I sent you illegal goods in the mail. <laughs> goods. I hope there's not a statute. I hope there is a statute of limitations that's like two weeks on that. So what we're like all good. What cracked me up gonna about look. when I got the package? Did you see me cross it out? <laughs> like, Susie. And even though you had told me, I still was like, who is Sarah Brown? <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, why? What the hell? I just like picked my mom's maiden name. Like, that's not very. 
I didn't know the story behind your pseudonym. Oh. Yeah. You just thought I picked, like, brown rice, just a different kind of rice? <laughs> right, you hyphenate now. Sarah Brown Rice. Oh, God! Wow, your mom should have hyphenated. That would have been hilarious. That, that joke was definitely... But why definitely didn't she? A, uh, because of the obvious reasons. And the funniest <laughs> part about that is that her name, if you say Sally, Sally in any Spanish-speaking country, they think you're saying salt. Mm-hmm. So to say Sally Brown Rice. That sounds delicious. Really funny. That is so funny. I never Salted noticed. Salted Brown Rice. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Back to lying. So. Yes. Oh, right, right, right. Lying. Yeah. No. Um. Mm-hmm. I feel like I think I can. I can usually, I, I, I think I'm good at setting somebody up to f- fall into a lie. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that person's li-. like, I would do it on the challenge a lot. Okay. Yeah. Do you know what I mean by that? Yes, Where you're I like, do. Ask questions and you're like, I know the answer to this. And I know based on the answer they gave give me whether they're lying or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like when I was reading this article, which I think was also in the New York Times, I was sort of like, you know, when you have that feeling of like, well, maybe most people can't, but I'm good at it. And I have no, yes. I, actually, I have no idea if I actually am. But okay. So like, you know, historically people claim we, you know, oh, they fidget or they look in a certain, like they avert their gaze mm-hmm. or whatever. But it says that none of the things we often hear have proved reliable indicators of a liar. Um, mm. But some are like weakly correlated, like dilated pupils mm. and a very tiny, undetectable to the human ear uh, shift in the pitch of the voice. But they were doing all these um, these tests with like law enforcement so it said neither law enforcement experts or student volunteers were able to pick true from false statements better than 54% of the time. Oh, I think I read this. And what did you think? Like, were you like the, buying it? And the police officers were, and isn't it something like they were, they, when they mm-hmm. knew that it, well, you know, you're going to say it. No. <laughs> there was something that they were good at that they, when they knew that it was... Well, so the cop said the experiments aren't realistic enough because, like, yeah. it's kind of like when they would test things for the challenge. Like, yeah. there's something that's unaccounted for when you don't have the adrenaline and the competition meaning yeah. anything to you. And I feel like this might be similar. So they that's what they argued. And then... They So they changed it and they went through hours of videotaped police interviews of a convicted serial killer and they picked out three known truths and three known lies. And then they mm-hmm. asked um, police officers to view the six statements and judge which were true and which were false. Um, and and the interviews were in Dutch, so they couldn't even know what the words oh, were. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. So it was that's just really smart. Nonverbal cues. Or Good job, research. Tip of the hat. <laughs> yeah. Good job, science. One. Excellent way to to uh, uh, isolate variables. It said the officers were correct sixty four percent of the time, which is better than chance, but still not very accurate. But the ones who did the worst were those who said they relied on nonverbal stereotypes like liars Ugh. look away or liars fidget. And mm-hmm. then. It, the article said, like, if a husband killed his wife, he could be upset for all kinds of reasons, like remorse or just, like, getting caught. So nonverbal behavior is idiosyncratic, and then you focus yeah. on—it it just trips you up because it's, like, more about yeah. emotion than whether they're lying. 
And what if you have incongruent affect? Right. Which I think happens a lot. I have that. Mm-hmm. It's very really common. Se- like, oh my gosh, it's the worst laughing when you get nervous or embarrassed or scared. Yeah. And like people think, what the heck is so funny? You must not care. No, I really, really care. Then they were doing like to see if you could watch a video of people like at the airport and try to figure out which one was, you know, the bad guy. Mm-hmm. But that because bad guys purposefully try to look natural, it's almost impossible to know the difference between someone absolutely who's just, yeah. and then people this is what when we watched that that documentary about the woman who in italy who the who is amanda, amanda knox oh yeah yeah yeah. amanda amanda knox amanda knox accused yeah yes and how she's had that guilty look <laughs> she really did that terrifies me. I have this. I'm afraid of taking a lie detector test and failing when I'm telling the truth. Right. I am t- like the idea of remember when I got pulled over and for <laughs> a DUI and absolutely was not under the influence because, well, I, they gave me a breathalyzer and they let me go and everything. But in my mind, I was so nervous yes. that my, I was like, okay, what would somebody who's not drunk say right now? And I'm like, you're not drunk. What to say what you would say. And I'm like, okay. I'm going to say, I'm so nervous because somebody who's drunk wouldn't say it. Yes. Way too much thinking, Sarah. All I had to do was blow into the breathalyzer. They're like, oh, yeah, you're fine. Well, because, well, yeah, breathalyzer, still thankfully. still put me through the field sobriety test. So what the hell? All for just having a light out over my license plate. <laughs> and I think because I was dancing in the car. Oh, no. You were asking for it. I was asking for it. Well, okay. So it said that the, another problem is it's cultural. So, like, averting oh, your yeah. gaze in some cultures is a sign of respect. And like a prolonged stare, rapid blinking, complaining, whistling, exaggerated yawning, covering the mouth while speaking, and excessive fidgeting or personal grooming are the same way. They're, it depends yes. on where you grew up and what you're used to. So oh, the that's point why is- cultural consideration is so important in everything. And we really just look at things through like a white, heterosexual male lens. Yeah. So like Ugh. basically you can't spot a liar and... No. Like, it would be nice if we could, but it's basically impossible. Yeah, that's why I just go with everybody's lying. <laughs> right. Let me save you some time here. Yeah, let me save you some time. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> but, yeah, that does scare me. Uh, except me. I am, tell the truth to a fault. Well, that's for sure. It's the worst thing. Oh, my God. Sometimes I would. I'm like, Sarah, don't, you don't need to say that. Just stop talking. <laughs> just stop talking. We have a fear of dead air. That's why we're in the right yes, industry here. That is so true. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. Next up, I want to tell you about a super fun game that Sarah and I are playing called June's Journey. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who doesn't love a good mystery, right? And, June's- and who doesn't love a, a hide and seek? Yes. And like June's Journey will let you be like the inner sleuth. Okay. Maybe you won't know who's lying, you know, according to the study we just learned about, but you can at least find a thrilling adventure set in the Roaring Twenties. That's something. It's just super cute. It's about this June Parker, who's a detective investigating a mysterious death, death of her sister. But it's just a free-to-download mobile game. It's super cute. 
um, and you can put your power of observation to the test and memory and logic skills, which... Well, you know, I love that. We love that. That's super fun. And it's just a nice little break from the stress of life, as always. It's really, really fun. You guys are going to love it. Um, Download it for the cute Roaring Twenties outfits and hairdos alone. Yeah. Well, and just because then you, we can talk about it together. You guys can tell us how yeah. you're doing. Download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's called June's Journey. And then tell us so that we know you're playing with us. Okay. Moving along. Uh, I watched the most hilarious documentary I've ever seen. Whoa, tell me. I need to see this. I've now watched it three times because I can't Stop quit laughing about it. it. It's Stop. hilarious. Susie, I swear to God, if you tell me that you have not seen Interstellar and you have watched that goddamn documentary three times. <laughs> Listen, Sarah. I am going to go through the roof. <laughs> And even though my voice went up, that is not a lie. When you watch it, you will understand. It's called Frank and Cindy. It's on Netflix. But make sure you choose the right one because the the right one is from, let's see, 2004. And then in 2007, they made a movie based on the documentary. So don't watch the movie. Watch the original documentary, Frank and Cindy. (laughs) Oh, my God. Tell me what your favorite part is. I am already laughing. I don't even know what the hell this is about, but it's already making me laugh so much because of how much you like. Sarah! Like, my sister and I just send each other, um, like, quotes from the movie all day. Oh, my gosh. We'll cancel my plans this afternoon. This woman, Cindy, married this guy, Frank, who in the 80s had a one-hit wonder that I had never heard of called Whirly Girl. And... Mm-hmm. He, she thought he was like, you know, on his way to the big time, but it was just like a one hit wonder. And then like, he basically quit working and she had to support him and they're totally dysfunctional. And there's, uh, her son, GJ is the filmmaker. GJ? <laughs> GJ. Correct. Is the filmmaker. And he what, is just basically documenting his crazy mom and stepdad. But he's, I can't even put into words how funny it is. Every single line from the movie is hilarious. If you're into like dysfunction being kind of funny. Well, hello. Well, I mean, that's my whole life. So like right. I, I really connect. Oh, I cannot wait to see this. Like anybody that grew up with fucked up parents like I did, but developed a sense of humor to cope with it will be like, uh-huh. oh, this is my life and it's hilarious. <laughs> so please watch it and then report oh, back to me. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, that's funny. Oh, and that reminds me, as Sarah knows, I'm launching uh, Brain Candy Documentary Club. Yes. As sort of like an extension of just Brain Candy shenanigans because I love our book club so much, but I wanted like to be able to talk to people about these all these documentaries I watch. Yes. I thought, why don't I give it a, a try? Do a so, deep dive and really get everybody cuz that's what don't when you're watching the documentary, don't you just want to talk about everything? Yes. And, and we can't make this a, a podcast just about documentaries. Right. There already are those. Right. So I'm like, we'll go on Zoom, like I'll tell them what movie to watch. Um the first one is going to be The Wolf Pack, which is put out about 10 years ago. And Hmm. we're going to go on Zoom and then everyone will have watched it by then and we'll just talk about it and have a laugh. And 
it's, you can sign up on um, our website for just to get the newsletter. And then if you're signed up for the newsletter, you'll get the link and everything. Because I just wanted to do a test run to see if anyone was interested. You know, so this is sort of like Heck yeah. a test. So there you go. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay. Um, moving on. Um, hold on. Uh, 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 um. Okay, the next thing I want to talk about is there was this great article in The Cut about WikiFeet. Oh, we love this. Do we love this? Question mark. I'm totally obsessed with WikiFeet because they take pictures from our Instagrams and put them on this site for people that have enthusiasm for feet. Yeah. I haven't gone down. I've been down that road in a little bit. Yeah. I mean, but they're on top of it. Don't worry. Like, they're still stealing all your content and posting it. So this person that wrote the article, she had discovered that there was a WikiFeet page for her. And she's just a journalist. She's not even, like, on TV or anything. Um, And she was just like, I got to figure out who is taking the pictures from my Instagram. So she would, like, post a picture on her story that included her feet. And then she would see who had looked at her story by the time that it had been put on WikiFeet. So she was able to narrow it down and figure out who could possibly be posting these. And then eventually she found the guy and he agreed to be interviewed. And she just asked him, like, when did you first become into feet? Like, what is it about the feet? And why do you take my pictures and put them on WikiFeet? Because she said... Was he... What did you what say? What kind of guy? What kind of guy is that this? He was 58 years old. Okay. And he said that, you know, he started being into feet when he was young, you know, and told stories about why. Um, mm. But then she Can was Can you like, give me some highlights of why? She's, he had a pool and his sister's friends would come over and they would have bare feet at the pool. Oh and gosh. he just started getting really into their arches, Sarah. Oh. <laughs> Specifically, I always want to know what part it is. I know because my friend Oliver said he thought that it was like, um, like a more is more situation. Like the bigger, the better. Bigger feet? That's what he told me. He was like, well, I think, it's like I think that some people. Well, I think, I think it's think all that's different. Right. That's I right. think some people like the like. I've even heard mm-hmm. guys who like the toes yeah. like spilling out of the tight shoes. <laughs> yeah. Which to me is the most unattractive, not only most attractive, most, well, maybe that's what they like. It's just like total pain and discomfort for women. Yeah. I think some of them like that stuff. Some of them like painted toenails. I think some of them like naturals. <laughs> naturals. I, I've gotten the, the thing that make, that people are interested in mine uh, for are my stubby toes. Oh, I have I like, bet. they're, they're kind of, st- they're like, they're. They're like let me see what your rating like. I have almost a perfect rating on there, by the way. Oh, check out! Oh, listen, I don't like like to brag. 
They should not take a peek at what mine look like now. I have not had a pedicure. I mean, I've given my own pedi. I've given myself a pedicure. Let me but see. like, I haven't had a pro job in well over a year. We have just about the same rating. You and I oh, have beautiful mine? feet. It's like basically four and a half stars oh, out of I'll five. Take I'll take it. I'll take it. Look, we're we're not for everybody. It even says I- your shoe size is seven point five. Is that accurate? Oh my that is God. accurate. How the hell do they know that? How do they know that? Now, how do they know what size my shoe is? Do you think they do like for scale? Like if there's like a quarter, I, or something? probably. <laughs> they. I mean, I can measure something on my iPhone, so I can't. You know, I think they must. They must. They're like, oh yeah, look at how how look at her foot compared to that chair over there. <laughs> That's a solid seven. And a half. Or imagine <laughs> like like what if that were like their their superpower? They're like, yeah, oh, look at feet, and they're like, it's kind of like that that old-timey person who would like guess the weight at the carnivals yeah. but instead it's like let me say that, that it's like, like a, a real six niche and a half. talent which is like not that impressive because they're not in them you could be like all of five sizes or something well and like maybe they just made it up and they happen to get yours right who's to say did they get yours right let me look i bet you they did though these people are connoisseurs i mean yeah they know their feet let me see i am listed as yeah. Oh, seven. I oh, would, well, that's incorrect. I would say I'm a 7.5 usually. Yeah. yeah. Well, I even thought you're verging on an eight. Is that true? No. No, no, no. definitely not. Maybe that my second toe, which looks more like a finger, that that's baby, mm. she could get her own page. She could. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's but- so funny that I have, I know exactly what your feet look like. <laughs> Why? I know exactly what your toes look like. Because you spend a lot of time thinking about them or what? No, just because like that, uh, we're, we're BFFs, Suze. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean. Not- you think I would know the position and layout of literally every item in your house because just that's how my <laughs> brain works and then have no idea what your feet look like? That's true. I really should give you more credit. Come on. I know. I'm sorry. I just. <laughs> so ridiculous. I didn't know, though, that WikiFeet had a rule that the only people that you can post pictures of are people who have an existing IMDb page, like someone who's oh, been in media. Oh, I like that rule. Yeah. That seems a little less creepy. Yes. She asked him, though, like, do you ever wonder if someone would appreciate the fact that you're taking their pictures of their body and posting it at a, on a fetish website without consent. And he said, yeah, I do think about it. I have a conscience. I don't want people to be upset, but I figure, you know, they're posting these pictures anyway. And yeah. I mean, I certainly it's don't not, feel violated. Uh, uh, I, this, <laughs> I heard this, this saying once, everything's porn if you masturbate to it. Yeah. So... Come on, we can't be. It's it, a fetish website. Like, okay, like you. I don't know. It just feels like what? What can you do? Yeah, it doesn't bother me at all. It I wish doesn't everyone had a foot fetish. at all. It has bothered exes when I talk about it. What? I'm not kidding. It does not bother me at all. What do you I'm think like, yeah, bothered your exes? I mean, uh, God, I don't know. Is it the idea of other people? Like maybe they saw it more sexualized than I did. And I was just like, man, they like my feet. 
They clearly don't know that every single moment of our lives as women in public is sexualized. Yeah. Right. So yeah, that's I'm like, like I don't fucking care. please jerk off to my feet. I'm I, please I'm flattered. Yes, as long as you're just jerking off to me. Thanks. I am fascinated. Just glad by the to fetish. be in somebody's mind. <laughs> right. Right. I consider it an honor. Yeah. I wonder though, like what they. Do you think that that's the draw for your feet? Is that is the stubby ones? That's like I think real- so. Well, my uh, the only person that I know uh, in real life that has an admitted foot fetish is Johnny Bananas. Oh, I didn't know he did. Oh yeah, he loves feet. He's like I don't know how sexual it is, but I know he definitely enjoys toes and like likes and looks at them and they like finds them. I think it's I, a very common fetish. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's more like if he doesn't like him, he's like, that's a turn off too. Yeah. But he's uh, always been a fan of, of my feet and he said it was the toes. Oh my God. And they like nice, there's like a Johnny nice loves your feet? Yeah. Wow. Doesn't like the rest of me, but <laughs> to like everything attached to him. Yeah. <laughs> he can't stand your legs. But... Uh, yeah. Can't stand the brain that's making him move and right. wiggling those toes. I do. I find the foot fetish fascinating. I always want to ask questions and they're usually pretty nice when you ask them. They'll like open up about it. But uh, there you go. I, uh, you know, what would be the, it's really funny to me that if that's like a very specific part of the body. Yeah. Like, and we accept it. Right. If you were to say that there was a shin fetish. Yeah. That's what a I mean. A calf fetish, a knee fetish, a thigh fetish, a finger fetish. All those things would seem weird to me. True. But when I'm like, yeah, I get that. There must What's be something about? about feet that makes them highly sexual in comparison yeah. to these other niche body, body parts. It's got to be the part of the brain where that – I yeah. think it, I heard that a long time ago and I know I, – I don't know. What do I know? I think that that's true. Okay. Well, one thing I think is true is that your bank account should work with you, not against you. Yes. And thanks to Chime, an award-winning app and debit card with no hidden fees or monthly minimums, you can get what you deserve, which is, you know, keeping your money that you earned. Um, So Chime, here are some of the things that make it really cool. They have fee-free overdraft on up to $100 in debit purchases with SpotMe. It's like overdraft protection, but better. So that's super cool. You get your paycheck benefits like stimulus checks, tax returns up to two days earlier with direct deposit. People love getting their money faster. Um, There's no hidden fees or monthly minimums. They have really great security. Um, I just think it's a really nice service and has a lot of benefits and you can join the millions on Chime. Sign up takes only two minutes. It doesn't affect your credit score at all. Apply now at Chime.com slash Brain Candy. That's Chime.com slash Brain Candy. Here's the mandatory disclosures. Chime is a financial technology company. Banking services provided by the Bank Corp, uh, Bank or Stride Bank, NA, members, FDIC. Eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Overdraft only applies to debit card purchases. Limits start at $20 and may be increased up to $100 by Chime. Early direct deposit depends on your payer. Out-of-network cash withdrawals, fees apply. Third-party and cash deposit fees may apply. Go to Chime.com slash BrainCandy for details. Woo! Okay. Woo! Okay, so um, we have a guest today. 
I'm really excited about this um, author, Daniel Gibbs, who wrote a book called A Tattoo on My Brain, A Neurologist's Personal Battle Against Alzheimer's Disease. I think this is such a fascinating story. As the title suggests, Daniel Gibbs was a successful neurologist who um, worked with lots of Alzheimer's patients, and then he discovered that he was in fact among them and was diagnosed with Alzheimer's himself. Um, thankfully, he was diagnosed very early on. And so he has been able to chronicle his journey and uh, sort of make himself his own research. And I just think that's so cool because he's able to observe the changes in cognition and the symptoms that he has is developing. And he put them together in this book, which I think does such a great job of describing what happens in the body of an Alzheimer's patient and offers um, advice on how best to avoid and live in a way that would um, slow progress of the symptoms and cognitive impairment. And he gives his ideas about what he thinks the future should be in terms of the research of the disease, a disease that affects so many families around the world. So it's such a great book. If you are interested in the subject, A Tattoo on My Brain is the name, and uh, we welcome Daniel Gibbs to the show. Thank you so much for coming on Brain Candy. It's such an honor. Well, I'm happy to be here. I loved your book, Tattoo, A Tattoo on My Brain. Um, mm-hmm. How the heck did you decide to call it that? Well, it's it's interesting. The um, title actually came to me before I started writing the book. Um, and the uh, origin of the title is uh, both figurative and um, literal because uh, as you may have read in the book, um, in one of the studies I was participating in, I had a, a um, an adverse reaction that caused some bleeding into my brain, which was, uh, I recovered from it completely uh, over a number of months, but uh, it left behind uh, an iron pigment called hemosiderin. So uh, when I have future MRI scans, that probably for the rest of my life, it'll show these little black dots. And I thought uh, that that made kind of a nice analogy for, uh, to to speak of the tattoo, because I actually do have a literal tattoo on my brain. Um, but it also is, is uh, in a figurative sense, uh, you know, I, I don't have any tats. I, I've, I've pretty straight-laced. It. Pretty straight-laced, <laughs> yeah. No one in my family does. But uh, it seems that, that having a tattoo is a way of coming out and, and uh, you know, making yourself public about things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's really the whole project has been uh, trying to di- uh, dispel some of the, um, the uh, uh, I'm blocking on the word, uh, the, the stigma uh, about Alzheimer's disease and, and uh, the uh, reluctance to talk about it uh, among families, uh, uh, among the population in general. So I'm very out front with it. And, you know, I talk to it, about my neighbors, my friends, I've, I've just had an incredible ex- exchange uh, this morning uh, 
with my uh, friend Reed, who used to be my my partner, and uh, I, I just uh, posted a, a. I have a blog. I've, I've never blogged about anything, but, <laughs> but somebody, two people, my wife and my co-writer, said you really need to have a blog uh, about the book. So I've been doing that, and uh, the blog I posted last night was about walking in the the uh, nearby uh, forest with my dog Jack, which we do almost daily when the weather's nice. And and uh, I had a couple of pictures of Jack in there, and my friend Reed, who also is a dog lover, um, and and has a pretty wry sense of humor, uh, uh, said that uh, he didn't realize how long uh, uh, Jack's ears were. He's a spaniel, and so he got long ears. And he and he said, uh, uh, "Can he fly like Dumbo?" And, uh, <laughs> and so this, you might imagine, led to a series of, of more and more absurd uh, <laughs> right. comments. And and then finally, he sent me a, a cartoon that he had he had drawn um, uh, that showed uh, me walking along with you know on a leash. Jack is up in the air, flapping his ears. <laughs> And and some horrified man walking by with his dog. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Jack seems like a pretty magical dog, so I wouldn't be surprised if Jack could fly. <laughs> CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I was thinking, though, when you say, you know, your neighbors and and how you when you originally wrote about your diagnosis, that was kind of how they all found out. And that must have been a very strange experience for you because everyone all of a sudden knows all your business. And I was wondering if th- the way they treated you changed at all. No, for the most part, no. Um, okay, good. Uh, because I'm, I'm really not that impaired, so I can right. still carry on a, a reasonable conversation and, and people don't have to be, um, you know, cautious. About out, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, talking about the neighbors, the, the I, I did a post, and actually that turned into an article in Scientific American that's coming out this week uh, about face blindness in Alzheimer's disease and otherwise. Um, and the, the post starts out, or the article starts out with uh, experience I had a few months ago uh, where I came across this woman on my street pushing a, a baby carriage and... Uh, walking her dog and i there were there were three women on our street who had babies within a a month and a half of each other about a year ago and uh two of them have dark hair and one has blonde hair and so i was chatting away with this woman with blonde hair and asking her how old the baby was now and she was you know quite pleased to talk to me and then as she walked away uh pushing the baby it struck me that she had the wrong dog uh, oh, no, no, the, the no. The woman with blonde hair has a, a black lab, and this was some little dog I'd never really seen before. So I was talking to an entire stranger, um, and, uh, and and that was due in part to my 
uh, face blindness called prosopagnosia, which is very common in Alzheimer's disease, but also the fact that everyone's wearing a mask now, so we cover True. up the, the facial features, so I had a double whammy. Um, so I, I used that as a lead-in to talk about face blindness, what part of the brain is damaged with that, and, and uh, some of the famous people who've had face blindness. Yes, and I've read about it amongst you know celebrities that say they have it, and it always mm-hmm. sounds so unsettling to me. Because if you don't have it, we all rely so much on just sight memory of right. someone's look. Right. Did you find it unsettling? Yeah, well, it, m- mine is not as severe as uh, most people who have it congenitally. About 2% of the population is born with yeah. face blindness. And they often never realize it because it's just you know the way life is. Yeah. But they have to... Uh, recognize people using other means. And I have a, a former colleague uh, who uh, has severe face blindness, and she can't tell who anyone is until they speak or, or do something else characteristic um, because she can't recognize the, the facial features to identify them. I'm, I'm not that bad, but I, I still confuse people a lot, uh, even without the masks. Uh, and uh, so I, I tend not to commit myself to who somebody smart. is, unless I can recognize their dog. I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Just everyone needs to have a dog to, to yep. remedy this. Absolutely. It's the right thing to do. I was fascinated by the idea of being one's own um, sort of research project, which mm-hmm. is sort of what you've become to yourself. D- do you find that a natural uh, situation or was that an adjustment no, I, well, for me, it's it's very it, it's a coping mechanism, because by looking at my case intellectually, uh, I can step back and yeah. and, and analyze it and and not be freaked out. Uh, huh. So uh, you know that's kind of a unique thing being a neuro- and and one of the advantages of being a neurologist, uh, being able to kind of uh, enjoy the the interesting things about it. For example, uh, I think. Yeah, I did for sure write about this in the book. That um, when I saw my first PET scan, uh, that was done as part of a study, my my amyloid PET scan. Uh, you know, it showed amyloid where you would expect it uh, for Alzheimer's disease. But I honed in. I asked them to to uh, enlarge the the image and uh, uh, looked at some of the olfactory parts of the brain because the first symptom that I had had was olfactory loss. Uh, and these phantosmias, these uh, illusory smells that come out. And, and sure enough, I was able to see uh, depositions of amyloid in, in two of the uh, parts of the brain that are involved in higher processing of olfaction of smell. And, and we all thought that was pretty cool. There were about 20 people in the room, and, and uh, uh, no one had really made that connection with, with uh, PET scans and, and uh these olfactory centers, although it had certainly been known for decades that the first uh, pathology of Alzheimer's disease uh, is seen in these olfactory centers. So, Why do you think that is? Can you help me understand? Because I find this smell situation, you know, we're hearing a lot about it with COVID as well. <laughs> and it, smell is such a mysterious sense anyway. And I just want to know more about why it is so connected with memory and I had no idea it was even a part of Alzheimer's, that symptom. What yeah, the heck? Well, I don't know that I have a good answer. Give for me you. something. I mean, we, 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 <laughs> we, don't, we don't know really. Uh, there are several 
different. It, it, it is, I mean, you can start with the facts that uh, the progression of, of the pathology of Alzheimer's, it's first seen in uh, the intermineral cortex, which is adjacent to the hippocampus. So that's a memory area. And at the same time, it's found in the olfactory bulb and some of the other olfactory centers. So that's years before there are any symptoms. And, and why that is, you, one can speculate, but I, I have no idea why it is. Uh, it's it's an analogous to Parkinson's disease, although the pathology is totally different. But the, the uh, Lewy bodies that are seen in Parkinson's disease first are seen in uh, olfactory parts of the brain, in certain parts of the brain stem, and oddly enough, in some of the uh, autonomic nerve plexuses in the gut. Uh, but that's before there are any movement problems or cognitive problems or anything like that. For So uh, uh, Parkinson's, about 80% of people with Parkinson's disease lose have some noticeable loss of their sense of smell up to 20 years before they have any motor symptoms. And I was well aware of that. I was not aware, so aware of the, the data for uh, Alzheimer's disease. And, and it has been known for quite a while that, that the, va- the vast majority of people with Alzheimer's disease, uh, by the time they have a diagnosis, have some degree of loss of smell, although m- many of them are not aware of it. Uh, but if they're tested, then you know, with uh, to uh, to determine their olfactory thresholds, they they are impaired. But I, I, my my feeling, um, I, the, the pathology in both Parkinson's and Alzheimer's disease starts at about the same time, about ten to twenty years before the other symptoms start. Uh, and I think the reason it was not recognized so much with Alzheimer's disease is that, at least in the past, by the time uh, people with Alzheimer's first saw a doctor about it. They were in the more advanced stages and probably weren't able to um, cogently give a history of, wow. and, and, and probably they weren't asked about their sense of smell. I certainly didn't ask my patients about their sense of smell until the last five or uh, six years of my practice. Um, so, I, I suspect that's what it is. Whereas people with Parkinson's disease, uh, if they have cognitive problems, it's late in the disease. And uh, I, I think they probably are more aware of their, right. their smell and can issues report it. And, and can talk about it. Do you find that your the change in your sense of smell or the deterioration of it affects your joyfulness? Because it is a sense we kind of take for granted. Yeah. And like in your book, I saw the picture of your wife's beautiful pie and you know we all know that lovely smell and i wondered if it it gets you down well i i I, not as much as it does to a lot of people i mean a lot of people just really i've talked to uh particularly uh, you hear a lot of people with covid and and how they've reacted to their loss of smell yeah and it really bums them out but I, i think uh you know, with Alzheimer's, it happened so slowly, you know, over a number of years right. that I just kind of got used to it. I think if you lost your sense of smell abruptly, like you do with COVID, that would be a real shock and, and really hard to take. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I don't really miss it, except I really miss the smell of bacon. You know, that, that, 
I don't blame you. Yeah, I mean, there, there's something about that smell. Bacon smells better than it tastes, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. Uh, so we don't eat bacon much anymore. But you know, if I'm uh, at a kid's house uh, and, and they're having breakfast, uh, I think boy, it sure would have been nice. Be nice yeah. to, be able to smell that bacon. Um, but frankly, I really miss it anymore. So, I mean, a, a lot of people would, and a lot of people are afraid of that. Um, okay, so I was wondering, since you are a fancy doctor, but now you're also a patient, if anything surprised you since you got the diagnosis that you didn't realize when you were just working with patients? I, I'm sorry, can you explain Do you, that question again? So as someone experiencing Alzheimer's, did mm-hmm. anything surprise you um, that you just weren't aware of when you were treating people and you thought, oh, I never thought this would happen or I never thought it would feel this way? Were there any surprises? Yeah. Well, it, you know, my my disease is still very early. So uh, I, I don't have problems um, too much with interacting with doctors or anybody for that matter. Uh, except in groups. I, I don't do well uh, sorting out conversations in groups, but I won't get sidetracked on that right now. Uh, I've become more sensitive to uh, being able to put my my shoes in my, my feet, mixing my metaphors. Uh, I've become more sensitive to putting myself um, in the place of patients with severe disease, even though I'm not there, and recognizing that the mistake that I made as a doctor, one of the, one of the many mistakes, I'm sure, uh, when interacting with my patients with Alzheimer's disease was not, uh, was, was getting impatient and, and, and talking to the family uh, around them uh, and not waiting for them to respond. Because one's latencies, as, as you get along and out the, your response latencies increase and it takes you a while to uh, process a question and decide on an answer and then formulate a response and meantime the conversation around you may have moved on to somewhere else so uh i in, a, in this busy uh world and in the way medicine has changed, become more busy. There isn't a lot of time for patient interaction. So I do, um, I speak to the medical students uh, several times a year in, in uh, at our local medical school, actually through the Alzheimer's Association, but they're from the local medical school. And one of the points I try to make is, is you know, no matter how advanced the patient is, you know, go to, go to them first and, and listen to what they say and, and, you know, uh, don't race to get information from the, the family, even though there will be important information to be gleaned from the family. Uh, you know, but tr- treat the patient with respect and 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 forever treat them like a human being and and make accommodations for their uh, their slowness in responding. Well, it sounds like you have a great deal of empathy. And one of the things you mention in the book is how sometimes with Alzheimer's patients, um, empathy and can uh, decrease and apathy can increase. And I had never known that before. Um, why do you think that is? Well, I, I think that's 
part of the disease. I mean, it, I think that's due to damage to the brain. It, it's, it's, I don't have a, but I, I can't tell you what part of the brain is linked to that. Yeah. Um, but it, it is a problem for almost everybody. Uh, the, and, and the, and, and they're not quite the same apathy and empathy, but uh, it, it, it makes the apathy part of it uh, makes it really hard to get up and do something. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, part of that is probably due to damage in the, the prefrontal cortex, which is one of the earliest places that the pathology shows up. And that's the part of their, our brain that among other things help us make, to make plans and, and to carry out tasks uh, and and the absence of that is what apathy is all about. Yeah. Uh, but the empathy, uh, I've had, uh, uh, I have a little trouble with that. I, 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 uh, I, I have to make a real effort to, to, to um, understand other people's problems, hmm. and and uh, more than I did before. Uh, and uh, I, I don't have, I don't know quite what causes that, but it, it's a well-documented thing that uh, people with Alzheimer's uh, uh, lose at, uh, their sense of empathy to a certain extent. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I was fascinated by the description you gave of cognitive reserve. Mm-hmm. And I was curious about, well, first, can you explain to our listeners what that is? <laughs> well, I can try. I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's a complicated uh, it concept. That, that, you did great in the book. <laughs> that not everybody uh, is on board with. Um, but it, it, but it, it's empirically, it seems to make sense. And there's this uh, concept that... Uh, people who have high cognitive reserve, and this doesn't mean more brain, it appears to be more connections within the brain. Uh, so, uh, and the people who have high cognitive reserve, uh, some of it may be, gen- uh, may be genetic, but uh, a lot of it seems to be due to the amount of school you, you have, uh, richness of childhood experiences, um, and, and it seems to be really, if not set, at least influenced a lot in very early childhood. Hmm. Um, And uh, so people who have high cognitive reserve uh, tend to be more resistant to the neuropathological changes in the brain of Alzheimer's disease for a period of time. So that uh, as time goes on, uh, their brain is still having the plaques and tangles accelerating probably at the same rate as somebody with low cognitive reserve, but it's not uh, causing as much cognitive distress uh, until it does. And then when it starts to uh, give out, you know, the cognitive, the batteries run out, if you will, then there's a precipitous fall 
uh, and and uh, people with high cognitive reserve do well for a number of years, and then they kind of fall off the cliff, as I like to say. So I'm I'm kind of waiting for to fall off the cliff, and hopefully it'll be a number of years from now. Um, but uh, there's uh, you know, a lot of of research done on on you know, what how can you build cognitive reserve and and probably the earlier you do it the better but you know things like staying intellectually and socially active are important and and uh, exercise seems to play into that as well the aerobic exercise in midlife um, and and diet and things like that so um, that doesn't really answer your question very well but it, it is an, kind <laughs> no, of an ambiguous does. thing and and, yeah. and frankly some people just you know, say garbage, you know, just that, that doesn't make sense. So, but I'm, I'm a believer in, in, in cognitive reserve. Well, and I was thinking about the recommendations you give throughout the book of, you know, a healthy life before mm-hmm. and after the diagnosis. And it's all the stuff we all already know, right? right? And we all should be doing, but very few of us do eat right, exercise have meaningful relationships, get sleep. Why the heck don't we do these things? Yeah. And that, and that's the key because it looks like the, the earlier you start it, the better. Uh, because, uh, you know, once the, the brain is getting damaged, when, when, once nerve cells are dying, it's really too late and your know, horses are out of the barn. And um, it, it, the same thing holds for, and this is, you know, personal opinion, uh, I think that the re- the reason, the main reason, I think that we are uh, having so much trouble finding medications that that work for Alzheimer's disease, you know, disease modifying medications, is because we're using them too late. Uh, I think by the time cognitive problems are starting, it's too late. So one of my uh, things I'm really trying to push is to look earlier in the disease and identifying people before they have cognitive impairment and and at the very least getting people who are risk for disease have a family history of disease yeah. or, or another APOE4 uh, uh, status they should be starting these things in their 40s uh, or, or 50s or you know and of course that's the busiest time of our life when we've got uh, you know kids uh, all over the place and, and uh, uh, but I think it's for those who are at risk, and anyone with first-degree relative has a higher risk of, of, of Alzheimer's disease, uh, I would urge them to, to really start, at, at the very least, uh, a regular aerobic exercise program. And, I, you know, I see the young people, you know, young, I mean your age. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Uh, you know, jogging every day, and, so, and that's great. Uh, but, you know, waiting until you retire that's too late. It may be too late. Well, that was my favorite part of the book was hearing your um, ideas about if we could change the way the research is done and focus on these early years that are sort of the latent years mm-hmm. that we might be able to make more progress. Do you think people are going to listen to you, Doc? Yeah. Well, I mean, they're already, I'm, I'm not the only one, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, uh, Research paradigms now are shifting to early. Okay. Uh, it's much harder to do a study uh, uh, in people who have no symptoms. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's hard to find those research subjects. So, uh, And there are several ongoing studies now of uh, people, for example, who are known APOE4 positive but have no symptoms. Uh, but finding those subjects 
took a number of years and an incredible amount of money. Um, so uh, we're getting more and more tests coming out that will help us identify Alzheimer's disease pathologically before it is um, cognitively apparent. And you know, we've got the PET scans now, amyloid PET and, and the tau PET. And of course, people like to say, well, just because you have amyloid in your brain doesn't mean you're going to get Alzheimer's disease. And that's true. About 30% of, of people who die in their 80s or so uh, have amyloid in their brain and had no, sen- no cognitive impairment. Mm-hmm. But my comeback to that is, well, yeah, they haven't, didn't have it yet. But if they'd lived to be 100, they probably would have. Mm-hmm. But now we're also being able to measure tau, the, the abnormal protein in the neurofibrillary tangles. And, and that uh, starts to appear in the brain, uh, at least by PET scan, just a couple of years before the cognitive impairment. So we, and now we've got blood tests, a number of blood tests uh, for both amyloid and tau that uh, haven't been approved yet, but may make it, at least on a research basis, it may make it possible to identify people who have Alzheimer's pathology or at least a strong evidence of it long before, you know, maybe 10 years before they have uh, any cognitive impairment. So I think that's going to be key uh, to doing these studies going forward. And and ultimately, uh, I think not in my lifetime probably, but uh, we'll be able to start treating people uh, for Alzheimer's disease before they start uh, getting cognitively impaired. That's what excites me. And in the book, um, I just felt so much gratitude to you for spending this time sharing your story with us because there's lots of things you could want to be doing right now. So I just think it's such a wonderful service that you're providing to the rest of us. And I'm so thankful. And we have one question that we ask everybody that comes on the show. We have this theory that uh, what you keep in the trunk of your car is symbolic of like where you are in your life. So we ask everybody what they keep in the trunk of their car. I bet you there's something to do with your dog. <laughs> that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. And some treats. Dog crate, dog crate and some, some treats. <laughs> Jack deserves all the treats. Yeah. Um, that's good. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm happy I to do it. hope lots of people read a tattoo on my brain and we're just so glad we got to talk to you. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. I hope you enjoyed that show. You got this far, so you must be a hardcore podcast fan. We'd love to invite you over to our podcast, Twinning at Life. We'll be gossiping about relationships. Yes, ours included. Bachelor chatter, pop culture, reality TV, and really a bunch of real life stuff. Come join us and have some fun. Just search Twinning at Life on your podcast app. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.